0: Welcome to Colin Shots. Um, joined today by uh, a, a great eminence, uh, New York Knicks beat reporter, Fred Katz from The Athletic, uh, rejoining the program for probably the third, fourth time, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Fred, how you doing? I'm lovely. I'm just thrilled to be on with you as always. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. So we, I was I was saying before we, we started recording um, the, what I wanted to have you on to talk about when I originally asked you, and what we're probably going to talk about has changed a lot. Um, originally, I was kind of interested in, you know, the Jalen Brunson signing and that, that addition. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of news, and I just wanted to talk about how, how differently that, that the Knicks were playing on offense. But since then, uh, things have kind of gone south, and then they maybe got a get-right win in, in Denver last night. So which part of that do you want to start with?
1: let's start with the positive. I mean, they, you know, they gave up 145 points at home to the thunder on Sunday and the world was ending and Tibbs was out of a job and Julius Randall was going to take three first round picks to attach to him, to trade him. And it was still worth doing. And the whole world was collapsing in on itself. And now three days later, they just won both halves of a back-to-back in Denver and, or in Utah. And then in Denver and, uh, you know, Denver, I know, was missing a couple of guys, but, look, second half of a back-to-back in Denver at that altitude is, like, it's never an easy game. And, and, you know, you still have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. to deal with and an extremely well-coached team. So, And, yeah, a great Julius Randle game. Uh, so, I think there are a lot of different directions we can go. But, hey, they've won two in a row, and I think they're both pretty good wins. So, why not start with something positive?
0: So let's go back to what I wanted to, to talk about originally. I think a, a aspect of the early season Knicks play was it seemed like they were, they were playing with a little bit more freedom and creativity on offense. And I don't know if that's strictly down to Brunson or just more stuff happening, but um, both Julius Randle and, even though he hasn't really made a shot, R.J. Barrett have had much healthier shot diets this year. So... Is that just a matter of having a ball handler, or are there, there are there schematic things that are happening that that have have made that a little easier?
1: I think I think it's a, a mix of a bunch of things. Uh, the first thing I would say, I mean, look, the Knicks had the worst point guard play of any team that was actually trying to win basketball games in the NBA last year. Uh, they really did, uh, and, and and you know, look, I mean, there were teams that were tanking that that might have been worse, but they're tanking. The Knicks were trying to be a playoff team. And Kemba Walker looked like a shell of himself. And, um, and uh, you know, Alec Burks is a really nice role player, but not a point guard and played point guard a lot of the years. And the Knicks just really struggled. They only had Derek Rose for 26 games because he got hurt in December and missed the rest of the season. And they just really struggled initiating the offense, getting into it expeditiously, um, you know being able to run actions you know with seventeen on the clock because they just didn't have assertive organizing playmakers and Jalen Brunson is just freaking reliable uh, it is it is a ginormous upgrade to go from what they had last year to somebody who is just Going to be, and obviously Jalen Brunson being, he's not just competent. He's a, he's, a, he's a very good player. But going, having someone who, who has competence, who is just going to make the right plays, is going to make sure that you get into your first action with 17 left on the shot clock, is going to run a pick and roll, doesn't turn the ball over, is a really efficient scorer. Even though he's not shooting the three ball well, the efficiency numbers are still good because he's so good in the paint. Uh, you know, having that guy who can organize that is a big deal. And, and and then I would say secondarily, there has been very clearly and very consciously a reprioritization of what is a good shot and what is not. And the Knicks have been trending this way under Tom Thibodeau, uh, and they've really hit the extreme now. Uh, you look at Julius Randle, for example, who has had Moments of reversion to what he was last year, but I think has been way better this year, if only because the shot selection is just completely different. I mean, he was so reliant on mid range jumpers and like bad mid range jumpers, you know, long twos, contested ones for so much of last year. And he's basically just completely cut that out of, you know, his shot profile. The Knicks used to be gluttonous with long twos, right? That was like their thing. Uh, I believe a lower percentage of their shots are coming from long two now than any other team in the NBA. They just don't do it. They get to the rim pretty well. They take a lot of threes. They don't a ton make a of, lot floaters. of threes. Ton of floaters. I read a whole story about that. And their philosophy on floaters is like, I don't know if you saw it, like their philosophy on floaters is like, very conscious. Uh, you know, they, they, they consider, the, the quote I have in Tom Thibodeau is that they consider the floater the a new mid-range shot. Part of the reason they've dug in on floaters so much is because uh, is because of the offensive rebound rate on floaters and because Mitchell Robinson specifically is unbelievable at rebounding the floaters. Uh, and they don't have Mitch right now, but I, have, I, had a, I had a stat in that story that last year, Mitchell Robinson's offensive rebound rate on floaters was 28%. There were seven teams that had offensive rebound rates that were less than 28% last year. his, His offensive rebound rate on floaters was almost the league average for teams, which means that Mitchell Robinson alone is doing the work of five rebounders combined on floaters, and it just makes those shots way more efficient. Now the offense, to be clear, has not been like great or anything like that, but it, it, it certainly just looks a lot different in terms of how they're getting shots and where the shots are coming from.
0: So this is my worry: uh, the Knicks right now the pace is a weird stat, and you can measure it a bunch of different ways. But uh, according to Basketball Ref, Knicks are currently ninth in pace. Um, the I uh, according to Basketball Ref. Uh, a Tibbs team has never been top half of the league in pace. Um, the highest was 18th, and every other team he's had has been like 20, 20th or above, mostly in like the high 20s, like, you know, 26, 28th, something like that. My worry, certainly over the course of a stretch where, um, you know, you give up whatever it is they gave up on, on, on the matinee over the last weekend, um, my worry is that that the commitment to this this you know faster more uh, more efficiency based offense more efficient shot location based offense might fall by the wayside in in the desire to get back to sort of first principles of grinding defensively
1: uh that's possible i think that's reasonable one thing that i will say is if you go to unpredictable.com which I, I love that site because it really breaks down pace in, I think, a way more useful way than just looking at overall pace and just seeing how many possessions per game you're averaging, because that can also have to do with your defense as well, right? Um, and and I love unpredictable.com And one of the things that you get when you break down unpredictable and you go to unpredictable and you see the breakdown of, Average seconds per possession following a made shot, following a defensive rebound, and following a turnover. The Knicks are actually below league average in terms of pace after getting turnovers. So they're not really like rushing up in that scenario. The huge difference for them last year from last year is that they're, I believe, top 10 in pace after allowing made shots. Uh, And to me, that's kind of a indicative of that concept that I was talking about earlier with Jalen Brunson, right? Where last year after made shots, they've just got Julius Randle or Alec Burks kind of walking the ball up. And my goodness, my biggest pet peeve just as a basketball observer when I was watching their offense last year was the needless possessions that started with 13 seconds left on the shot clock, you know? And, And I just, it would be frustrating as a basketball fan to be watching an offense walk it up and just not run a pick and roll for 11 seconds of a possession. Like, well, I don't know why you're wasting all of that time. And I think one of the things that they're doing now is they're just pushing in, in not necessarily a fast breaky kind of way, but just in more of a like, okay, now that first action is coming with 18 on the shot clock a lot more and and to me that seems like only a positive right like, I, I struggle to find any sort of negative in taking that philosophy you know what i mean yeah no, uh, I, so uh, so I, was, I think that's a big difference for them
0: i was gonna say this is a stat that i uh i quote a lot and that's it's something that i've you know when i had access to the full tracking data something i've looked at a ton and i've talked to people who still have access to it and it appears to still be true is that the earlier in the shot clock you get into your to your stuff, however you want to mention it, ball over half court, ball breaks the the three-point line, ball past the hash mark, first kind of screen action in a possession, look at it any number of ways, every second earlier you get into your first action is worth a point of offensive rating. So that's just, you know, over the course of a game that might be, you get a second faster, Is that, that's worth an extra point a game, extra point a game, about three wins a year. Um, so I think that that approach is obviously a good one. My worry is that I think, like, I think we've all seen coaches like, try to have a commitment to play faster, play quicker, get into stuff, and then you, know, you lose a couple games, your defense goes to hell, you have some bad shots, some bad turnovers, and there's a reversion to type. And you know we've we've both observed Tom Thibodeau for a long time, and so I, I don't think I'm, I don't think my my concern is is made up. But if but if this is a is, is, if this is driven as much by Jalen Brunson as anything else, then maybe it's something that that can sort of weather the grip tighter storm. If there's another little if they have another little wobble uh, in terms of record in, in, in the yeah, in
1: the weeks. I mean look. If you asked Tibbs about why, I think it was uh, you know our, our buddy Jared Dubin who who asked this question a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know asked asked Tibbs about this exact topic, like why your teams never play fast? Why are you playing fast? And Tibbs' answer was basically, "Well, I have Jalen Brunson," and you know what's interesting about it? Jalen Brunson was never thought of as this like, like, transition point guard, you know? Like, that's not how Dallas was was using him. Uh, but I guess Tibbs saw this in Brunson of, like, he is uh, this very quick decision maker and very smart player, and we're going to have him organize everything right away. Uh, and, I mean, Tibbs basically said, like, this is – he didn't basically say, I mean, Tib said, this is, I didn't have Jalen Brunson, and this is how we're going to play with Jalen Branson. So it's, I'm with you. If if they have some crazy fall off, then, you know, it, it, the reason that teams and players and coaches have comfort, the times that teams and players and coaches make their comfort zones apparent are in times of, of stress, not in times of easiness, right? That's when you revert to the comfort. So, you know, maybe that's something that they fall back to. And we've kind of seen moments like that. And and look, the offense is like still problematic, especially in the half court and, and RJ's missing shots left and right. And they've been really one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league. And I don't see very many ways for them to get better at that with this roster. Uh, but in terms of the pace stuff, I think it's plausible that the pace numbers and the shot profile are, are sustainable and real. Because when I watch it, I'm just like, it doesn't look, it doesn't look flukish at all. Uh, and, and I do know that they have made a very concerted effort to, to make this change. You know, it's not like a thing that's just happening. Right, right. It was like the goal. The shot profile specifically was like right. the goal. And improving the shot profile last year was a was a big goal. And Tibbs has been hammering them. Like, I know. Tibbs is telling them, like, let those threes fly. Like, they had a game earlier this year, I forget which one, where they took like 20-something threes. And, oh, you know what? It might have been the Boston game where uh, Boston made 27 threes against them, and they took 27 threes. And... Tibbs was telling the team after that game, like, you guys have free reign to let it fly. Like, I'm telling you, let it fly. You can do it. Stop being hesitant. Like, let it go. Uh, it's, I mean, he's, he's really digging into that. Uh, so, I, I think the shot profile, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I honestly think it's real. I would bet that it's, that it continues.
0: I mean, I think at this point in the season, if we didn't have like the, the you know the history with the coach, that it's you know such a a divergence from that. I mean, I think you know absent that, if 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 this is easily time in the year where you can start to say you know when you get to about fifteen twenty games, like your shot diet is probably about what it's going to be for the season. So in 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 a vacuum, like that's probably that's a, that that's probably it's just it's it's so hard to. It's so hard to overcome the, the the sort of the years. It would be like if if suddenly a Steve Clifford team started fast breaking, would would right. be like yeah. Or so yeah. Um, sure. I, the, the, do you want to? We talked. You talked about two things that I definitely want to hit. Do you want to go to? You, you mentioned threes on the roster. Um, well, or, or three point shooting on the roster. I mean, there's yeah. a there's there's an obvious player who's not really in the rotation who we could talk about, and then. Or, like, what's going on with RJ? Which one do you want to hit first?
1: Either one. It's your podcast, okay. your choice. All right. Uh, so,
0: I, so, I, so I think we talked about this in, in agreement as of last year. I think we both thought that, that in terms of sort of median outcome, uh, Quinton Grimes was the next best prospect. He is not, I mean, part of it is injured in preseason. But what's going on with his role, or lack thereof?
1: You know, I don't totally understand it, to be honest. I, 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 it is my job to have an answer to that question, right? And I, I, I don't 100% get it. I mean, so he he comes into the year. He has what the Knicks were calling a sore left foot and, and misses all the preseason until the final exhibition game. Comes back in that game. Uh, the, the foot stuff flares back up again and he ends up missing I believe the first 6 games of the uh regular season comes back uh plays the last 5 minutes of a blowout to get his footing back and then immediately then gets inserted into the starting lineup for Everton Fournier who had who who has really struggled all year uh and that's a game against Philadelphia he does not look great in that game turns out after the start that the foot injury players up again, ends up missing more time. And now he's back, and everybody, including Grimes, including Tibbs, insists he is all the way healthy. And his conditioning is all the way there. And he is just not in the rotation. And it is weird. I mean, Tibbs has cut his rotation. The Knicks have a classic too-many-guys thing. You know, they they they're due for a consolidation trade. Like that is that's happening at some point. Uh, whether it's whether it's Derek Rose, whether it's Quickly, uh, whether it's somebody else. Like they are they are due for a consolidation trade. And uh you know, I I I imagine when that happens, Grimes will get back in the rotation. I imagine that'll happen at some point. But man, it is it is incredibly weird. Even last night in Denver, they cut the rotation to nine and they end up getting a good win on the road, second half of a back to back against a good team. And Randall plays an unbelievable game. Uh, and yet it's still jarring to see how little shooting there is out there. I forget what they shot from three in that game, but it was under 30% as a team. And when there's no Fournier and there's no Grimes, and, and to be clear, I, I'm not knocking pulling Fournier from the rotation, that was the natural move to make. But just when those two guys are sitting on the edge of the bench not playing, it's like you have no three-point shooting, and those are possibly your two best three-point shooters. It's just like it's tough to see, especially when Grimes coming into the year wasn't – it's not like he's just a three-point shooter. Like he's the supposed best point-of-attack defender. And defensively, their biggest weakness in the half court has been point-of-attack defense. It's – it's very, it's very weird. Um, I think Tibbs just kind of wants to roll with the guys who have been playing high minutes and already have a, a rhythm. But you know, sorry, got a got a phone call there, so I think I might have cut out for a second. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it happens. Yeah, um, I, I, that have a rhythm. I mean. If you're playing well, that makes sense. If you're scuffling, okay, but what, like, it's not a good rhythm. So anyway, I've, I've, I, it, it's sort of one of those things is like, we got to keep continuity on this roster, but you were 500 last year. Why, why <laughs> do you want, I don't like, the, the, reason, like, the reason the continuity is, it can be correlated with, with success is that the good, the good teams tend to stick together. They're not, maybe there's some benefit in terms of goodness to sticking together, but you're already good if you stick together. And anyway, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's odd. It just, it, it, it seems, I mean, it's, it's of a piece with, I think, you know, what you signed up for with Tibbs, you know, when you, when you, when you hired him. I mean, some of the biggest criticisms I would say of, of them right now is, you know, you mentioned too many guys, part of too many guys is you don't know the degree to which Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin are your guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, there's no question. And like, I mean, something's happening. Something will happen. I don't know what it is, but they've, they've been pretty, I think they've been pretty active in, in listening to trade offers and that kind of stuff. And they've, they've generally like, had so many dudes just like on the block or lingering on the block basically since last February. I mean, starting from last February, they were like, yeah, we're listening to offers on Fournier and listening to offers on Kemba Walker and listening to offers on Jones Noel and listening to offers on Alec Burks and basically all the guys who they, they signed. And I think I think Randall has been totally gettable for – a while, um, but you know, it, I, all this stuff the thing with the Knicks is they often do what a lot of organizations do, which is I think they really value their own guys and, you know, it, I, you know when Fournier was gettable, uh, it was for a price that people didn't want to pay. you know, it wasn't like, yeah, Fournier is gettable and we're willing to attack the to get off of them it was, yeah, Fournier is gettable, so, uh, you know, you don't have to give us very much in order to get him. Everyone's like, well, mean Fournier makes $18 million a year for the next two years, and, uh, you know, that, that's that's not worth giving up stuff for. You're going to have to attach things, and the Knicks are like, no. So it comes down to just the philosophical question of what does available mean and how available right. is available. Like, I just – I remember when Danny Ainge was running the Celtics and – Marcus Smart was just always on the trade block, right? And then you you talk to teams and they and the Celtics, you know, they they'd be like, "Yeah, the Celtics say Marcus Smart is available." And then I call up and they're asking for 742 first-round picks and they're asking for my first-born child and they also want my house and everything else that comes with it. Uh and you're like, "Okay, well, is Marcus Smart really gettable if the package for Marcus Smart has to be bigger than the package for LeBron. You know, like it's, just, it, there's almost a little bit of that element, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of guys there. There's a lot of guys, and there's a lot of blockage, and the pieces don't fit, you know? It's like, look, no matter what you think of Randall, and no matter what you think of Barrett, and no matter what you think of Mitchell Robinson, you might think all of those guys are worthy all stars. Let's say you're just as high as you could possibly be. On judging, all by, of them.
0: judging by my mentions, RJ. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it been quieter this year, but that's, that's probably just the tumult going on uh, on the Bird app.
1: Right. You might think RJ is a surefire all star, and you might think Julius Randle is the All NBA player he was two years ago, and you might think Mitchell Robinson is a future defensive player of the year, right? No matter what you think of those guys in terms of quality, stylistically, and what is not debatable, is that those guys don't fit on the offensive end. They just don't. None of that. They are all there inside the three-point line, and some of them
0: are way better
1: and absolutely have to be inside. And uh, you know, this is just like a roster with, you know, kind of kind of blockage problems. You know, obviously the one that personifies that the most is is Randall and Obi Toppin. Uh, but they're they're a little overloaded uh and and the pieces are are funky together, so I think some kind of move not saying it 's going to come tomorrow, but just before the trade deadline, I think something is gonna happen
0: Is there a universe where someone offers a draft pick for for like quickly and and they're like, yeah, well. We like we're at the point where maybe we we're not sure we want to pay him, and we got our point guard of the future, and he's going to want you know low end starter money, and we don't think he's worth that. So sure, give us a, a first rounder. Is that is that something, or is it that like no, we need to get an impact player back, and are they going to you know do the thing where they they turn down a good deal because they need to make a great one? This is my, I'm not. Yes, there's a universe
1: where that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. That's my, that's my, um, it's my opinion, but yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not reporting that with sources. It's right. my opinion, but, but yes, I, I believe that there is a world in which that, uh, that happens. Yeah. I mean, one of the things with the Knicks is like, so they're, they're like a 500-ish roster. I, I think that's where they'll be, you know, give or take, you know, plus or minus three, I think they're going to be 500 this year, right? Uh, And I, their roster, for all the talk of like the Knicks have flexibility, it's not really true. They have a lot of picks. But financially, it's not like they have this great ability to go get a ton of space. And on the other side, they're kind of at risk if they aren't careful of locking in a roster that's 41 wins, plus or minus three. Because they got Brunson locked up for the long term. They got R.J. locked up for the long term. They got Randall locked up for the long term. They got Fournier with another year after this one. They got Mitchell Robinson locked up for the long term. And then next summer, you're going to have Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin extension eligible. And especially if Obi continues to play this well and if quickly says, well, you know, look at the deals that... Guards are getting now, and there's that anticipated cap spike in 2025 that they're going to have to account for in the Emmanuel Quickly once 14 million dollars a year. I'm literally just making that number up. I have not spoken to people to get an idea of the Emmanuel Quickly market yet, but just for the sake of argument, and Obi Toppin is you know averaging 20 and 10 per 36, and now he's a 40 percent three point shooter and. He wants fifteen million dollars a year, same disclaimer as I gave her quickly. by the way uh, i haven 't spoken about the top market, but like now all of a sudden you 're talking about like maybe approaching the tax for a five hundred roster and like to lock in for for what uh, so so yeah I, I I think the Knicks are fully cognizant of that predicament, and I think there is a world where this is an organization that has done a lot of can kicking. You know, in order to to be able to uh, kind of prolong picks in an effort to go get stars, right? They were they they uh, you know had the nineteenth pick a couple of years ago, and they thought that instead of drafting somebody with nineteen, they might be better off trading that for a future first round pick because a future first they believe would be more valuable in a trade. and, uh, you know, we saw a similar thing where they traded the Hi. number 11 pick this year. Now They did a similar thing this past summer, too, where they traded number 11, obviously, in part, to get off of Kemba, Kemba Walker, but also to get back three protected first round picks because they believed, in part, that they could use those picks in, in a trade. Now, I don't know how the devaluing of protected picks in today's marketplace is going to affect that, but, you know, you're talking about a logic that would be in line with other moves that they've made. and. I know they're fully cognizant of that financial situation that I that I talked about. So yes, I I think that there is a world in which it's just like quickly for a, a future first round pick, and you know you just take back corresponding salary or something like that.
0: Sure. So,
1: and 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 by the way, I should add, yeah. uh, you know, Ian Begley from SNY, great reporter, um, you know, has also reported that they.
0: They are listening to offers on quickly, so like, <laughs> you know, that's listen. Okay, but, but the seven hundred forty-two. Yeah, exactly. No, this is. I mean, it's it's. I mean, the, the situation you're describing is exactly sort of why I didn't like the Brunson move. Um, and 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 you know, it's maybe it's not as bad as I thought because I thought the the extension they got RJ on was was actually much more reasonable, especially in light of you know, the deals that like a Tyler Hero or Jordan Poole got. Um but it's it's as you say, it's for a team like he, he has helped the team, but it was a team that needed more than just his help. Um and, and now, you know, as you say you're in danger of locking in. So the the biggest internal area of possible uh improvement is is RJ still, right? What's gone on with him this year? You wrote before the season, you wrote a piece that, that made me kind of bullish in terms of him working on the right stuff. Yeah. I mean,
1: look, RJ has has said for a little while that that he, you know, I think RJ is self-aware. I think he doesn't go out there and assume that, all of a sudden, he is going to become this world-class three-point shooter. Uh, I think he he knows that that is the thing that he needs to work on. We see guys who can't make shots and can't make particular kinds of shots, and they just think, oh, I'm great, I'll figure it out. I think RJ is self-aware. Uh, so I think he did dig in on, you know, the things that he needs to work on that that he can more realistically – be really, really good at. For example, he is great at getting to the hoop. Last year, he really struggled finishing around the hoop. You know, I've I've said this stat a lot, that after the new year, he played 44 games, so it was not a small sample. And only LeBron and Giannis took more shots at the rim than him. Like, he was incredible at getting to the hoop. But of the, like, 35 players who took five-plus shots at the rim over that span, Get by far the worst percentage of the rim, so he knew he needed to get better at that. And one way that he wanted to get better at that was not just by like adding some incredible layup package, which obviously is something you want to do. But but his real focus, and I think this makes a lot of sense, was to work on his decision making on his drives. There were just so many ugly finishes with him last year, where he'd get to the rim and it was just like these these flailing around the rim. Finishes where he'd miss everything. And, and I do actually believe that he's cut down on those. That being said, the jump shot is a problem. Like he's, he's shooting 20, he's shooting 26% on threes. I believe he's in the 16 consecutive threes. Uh, he has met, he's 23% from above the break. He's 30% from the corners. Uh, he still does have possessions where when he can't get all the way to the rim and he tries to throw up floaters and the touch is just not there on his floater. And like, you look at his, how he's doing in floater range and the numbers are like just not where they should be. I think he's like 34% from floater range. That's just like in the paint, but not in the restricted area. And that's just not where you want to be. And, and and I think the decision making on his drives is he still has don't get me wrong there are moments where like he'll hit the paint and he'll find a corner free shooter now uh he'll he'll go for a spin move instead of just throwing something up he'll he'll find somebody on the outside and i think progressively that's a little bit better than it was in the past but man there's still way too many times where it's like he is taking a shot that is far too difficult and it's completely unnecessary i mean the play that really stands out was one against uh, Denver last night. Just the last play of the – of it must have been the first quarter. And Barrett ends up on the left side rushing down. And Emmanuel Quickly is, I'm talking, wide open set on the right side. There isn't even a Denver player on the right side. And there are four nuggets guarding R.J. Barrett. There's like four seconds left in the half. I mean, or in the the quarter. Like, it's not like it's a half a second left, and he's got to throw something off. And RJ takes two or three dribbles and tries to step back and shoots a step back mid-range jumper over basically four defenders, and he misses. And quickly was literally on the right side, hands in the air, jumping up and down like he's Dion Waiters trying to get a pass from LeBron, and and it was. Jarring. And that was an extreme situation. But we see plays like that from RJ just too much. Um, I think he tries to shoot himself out of these slumps too much. And if the goal was, all right, he's really good at slashing, get good at slashing and rely on that. I don't think we've really seen that enough. I actually do think he's been quite jump shot reliant this year. And the, the jumpers just aren't falling, and the efficiency numbers have have actually been worse than they were a year ago. So I I, I am – look, I, I feel about the same about RJ Barrett now as I did last year. I think he has a chance to be a good player. He's only 22 years old, and all those things about him concentrating on the right things and being self-aware and having the right work ethic and all those sorts of things, I mean, those all remain – empirically true uh but i i thought we might see a little bit more of a progression from that part of his game heading into this year and uh it just hasn't happened yet
0: yeah it's i mean frankly it's been you know i uh, my my travails with with my opinion of rj barrett aside it's just been it's been surprising how much he struggled uh it, it really has and and you know uh, someone, someone, I saw someone tweet out his shot chart and it's just like all red. And I, I, I don't, I don't know, like, you I mean, I, I'm, I haven't seen every next game, so I'm doing it more by, by, by stats. But again, I, his, his shot diet is, is, you know, not to the extent that, that Randall has improved, but he's getting, he, he is getting higher quality looks than he did a year ago. And so it's just, um, it's, it's, it's surprising.
1: Yeah. yeah. It is it is it's like defensively he hasn't been the same either by the way he's he's had a lot of moments where where defensively especially on the ball he's just not he's not sticking with guys uh you know their 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 screen defense has really been a problem and a big part of that has been Randall who was actually quite good defensively yesterday uh but uh you know part of it is R j Barrett too. They've, they've, they've like bungled a lot of switches and that kind of stuff. And RJ has been part of it, fighting around screens improperly. That's, that's been part of it. He just hasn't been the same guy. And I, I, I will say he's, he's been playing sick right now, but you know, play, playing sick can explain why you go 0 for nine from three, like he did yesterday. That can explain not making a three. It can explain not having your legs and it can explain all that kind of stuff. What, what it doesn't explain though are those moments like the one I just detailed with quickly wide open on the, on the right side, you know, like that's, he he doesn't have pink eye preventing him from being able to see across the court,
0: you know, you know, so like. Maybe it's the danger of having too many lefties on the team is you can only see the left side of the court.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I, I just, there, there are certain things from RJ that I I expected to be different and then I'm just—I'm not coming close to writing it off. I'm not. He's 22 years old, and I think there has to be some amount of patience. But I—I I definitely. Like bizarro thought, Jason
0: Tatum. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's—he's—he's he's, he's still only 22.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I—I I, I definitely thought we would see more of a progression from him. Like the man, the efficiency numbers are just. They are too far down for someone who is going to make up so much of your offense. And, you know, part of it also might just be, and I I don't know, I don't think he's extremely polished and would never say this, but maybe I should ask him because maybe he'll just give an honest answer. If It's the case. And I, I don't think it has to be a throwing under the bus situation, but like one thing that I wonder is he's playing differently than he did last year when he got really hot in the second half of last year. And part of the reason was because the Knicks could just put the ball in his hands and be like, you, go. You know? And now he's, like, his drives per game are down. He's he's not getting to the rim on his own as much anymore. And when you evaluate that in a vacuum, you're like, okay, well, that means... More plays where people are creating for him, and more plays where he can cut, and maybe more plays where he can get out and transition and get a bucket that way. And and you would think in a vacuum that, like, okay, playing with more playmakers is probably good for a wing, especially a wing whose number one thing that he needs to work on is creating for others, right? Who can just work off of other guys, and you would think that would be better. But, you know, there's a human element to this too, which is like, his circumstances changed. And one thing that I will say is he was definitely comfortable playing the way that he did in the second half of last season. And I'm sure there's just some sort of comfort thing for him where it's like he's got to play a little bit differently when he's next to other guys who actually deserve to have the ball, uh, which means him having it having it a little bit less. And, uh, you know, it, we talked about that concept coming into the year regarding Julius Randle all the time. You know, how the heck is Julius Randle going to deal with a point guard coming in their crunch time offense last year was just Randle holding on to the ball and trying to create. And uh, I think Randle has been for the most part, pretty good in adjusting. I mean, we talked about, he's taking like one mid range shot a game, like literally one mid range shot again. Uh, he, he is, he, he is completely changed to shot profile. And then you look at the, The advance numbers on just, like, how long he's holding onto the ball for when he touches it and how many dribbles he's averaging per touch and all that. And all that is down from last year. And, yes, Randall will take a bad shot every once in a while. And he's still prone to the bad isolation every once in a while. But it is not nearly, not nearly as often as it was last year. He's he's clearly changed. And we had that conversation about, like, how is Randall going to respond to the year so much? And it actually seems like it might be affecting RJ negatively more than it did. I shouldn't even say negatively, but it's just affecting RJ in a more visceral way than it is with Randall. I think. Sure. Look, look, I mean, that Seth, yeah. Seth. That's not. That's not by the way a thing of like oh, feel bad for RJ. That that I mean, you mentioned talking about Quentin Grimes being a potentially a more having like a higher median than RJ. This, this is, is why, what. Yeah, this this is, is why we're talking about that, right? Yeah. If, for a player of RJ's caliber, if that's how he has to play, in order to be good, he has to be great. And for a guy who can just play off of other guys, you know, the thing I say about Grimes all the time is, uh, you know, the idealized version of Quentin Grimes—you can plop him onto all thirty teams, and he will make all thirty teams better on both sides of the floor without any of those teams having to change their offensive or defensive ecosystems which is extremely valuable. Uh, you know, there are lots of players who are great players, but if you get them, you are going to change your ecosystem. If you get LeBron, you are obviously going to change the way that you that you play offensively because you're going to incorporate LeBron. And Grimes, you won't have to do that. with With a player who plays like LeBron, in order for that player to be good, he has to be great because he has to be able to sustain that kind of role. LeBron, obviously, is good enough to do that. Um in order for RJ to be good if that's how he's going to play. In order for him to make winning plays and actually impact winning, he has to be great. Um and, and so the bar just naturally has to be set higher for a player who's like that. And I think we're kind of seeing right now the struggles of RJ kinda of trying to adjust in a different sort of ecosystem.
0: To become that effective kind of tertiary option, is essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, do you think? Let's say, let's say, the three point shot never gets there. Let's say he's not twenty six percent three point shooter, but it's just like he's what he was last year. He's like thirty two to thirty five, and that's just kind of where where he lives. Um,
0: it's hard to be a, hard to be a top end wing player in the NBA at this day and age. Right. I mean, way. unless you're what, unless you're just very dynamic on the ball as a, especially as a playmaker, for others.
1: Right. You have to be Jimmy Butler.
0: I mean, where I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable. Yes, gonna, I mean, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be an all star, yeah. But I mean, I, I'm just struggling to think of a of even kind of a a higher end role player who, I mean, you become like, this just like Justice Wynn like. And Justice Winslow is, is a you know substantially better playmaker, and and you know has also someone who's bounced around a lot. So I don't like also a lefty too. Funny, um, <laughs> um yeah, no, it's 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 these it's the 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 off ball stuff which was the which has sort of been the worry in terms of why you know why we both like Grimes better as a, you know in, in prospect. Um, I, I think that's a, I think that's plenty of 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 us in a roundabout way taking a victory lap um, about previous reasoning. But I, I want to end with, um, you know, over the weekend, like last weekend, it seemed like there was the groundswell of of kind of hot seat talk. Um, I imagine after, you know, go, winning in Utah and Denver, that, that, that subsides a little bit. But, you know, was that real and, and are we is there a coaching change that, that could happen if things go not so great for the next couple of weeks or is it just kind of we're we going to get through the season and then like all right well we had our we did our 3 years and and now we're done um
1: i think i mean i don't expect anything to be imminent at all um i think it's kind of hard to predict to be honest uh one thing so so i'll take it a little deeper i'll say the knicks have a number of decision makers in that front office like it's not really a a top down what leon rose says goes uh from everything that i've heard forever leon has always been in tibbs's camp uh you know i have also heard and you know i mentioned begley earlier you know begley reported like a while back that There were people in the front office who wanted Tibbs out. Uh, And that was like last season. Uh, And I don't think those sorts of sentiments have changed. They have so many decision makers and so many people there. Uh, What's kind of always been the case is the ones at the top have always been in Tibbs' camp. Uh, The question on what the heck happens with Tibbs will come when there's pressure on the organization as a whole, I think. Like what we see always is that before the GM goes, the GM makes sure the coach goes, right? Because then you get you get your one coaching change.
0: It's, it's your, your, your one-shot body armor,
1: basically. Exactly. Uh, I don't get the sense that there is that level of pressure right now.
0: Uh, I mean, look,
1: they're eight and seven. Like, this is kind of where they were supposed to be. If you told me coming into the year, the Knicks were going to be eight and seven. I'd be like, okay, cool. And they the way that they've gotten there is not necessarily the way that I would anticipate. I mean, uh, as,
0: as Tina Turner said, uh, they don't do any, anything nice and easy.
1: Yes, and there are, there are certain things that, you know, the Knicks fans who want Tibbs out. There are certain things that they will point to that this organization just wouldn't. Uh, for example. One of the reasons why is because of Tibbs' unwillingness um, to play Obi Toppin heavy minutes, right? And look, I've been on the play Obi more train for a long time, so I'm not disagreeing with that sentiment. But you know who does disagree with that sentiment? The Knicks front office, who put together a roster that completely blocks Obi Toppin, <laughs> who, who, who watched last season. Saw the Knicks play much better when Obi Toppin was out there. Saw Obi play really, really well after the All Star break and really take a leap once he entered the starting lineup when Julius Randle finished the season hurt. And then went out this summer after a season of calls to play Obi Moore and re signed Mitchell Robinson and signed Isaiah Hartenstein and converted Jericho Sims and held on to Julius Randle and then said, okay, here's your roster. Like the Knicks. Nick's front office is, 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 is buying into this too. So I seriously doubt that refusing to play – I shouldn't say refusing to play because Tibbs is going to the top in Randall Pro Court where I wrote about that this morning. Uh, but I seriously doubt not playing Obi 30 minutes a game is going to be any sort of factor in Tibbs' future. So I I think what you kind of have to do when you have these kinds of conversations is a lot of people project, you know, Tibbs is probably in trouble because I believe this should be happening. And it's not happening when the reality is you're projecting your own beliefs onto the people who are actually making the decisions. And the people who are making the decisions, I think, are more in line with Tibbs than some people on the outside um, would prefer. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I am saying I think they should play Obi more. I think he's a good player. Uh, but but it's just that's just the reality of the situation. If the Knicks front office thought play Obi Toppin more, they would have built a roster that implied play Obi Toppin more. If the Knicks front office thought uh, Emmanuel quickly is a Legitimately solid and reliable starting caliber guard and uh, that's how he should be treated, then they would not have spent the entire offseason or or the entire period leading up to the offseason thirsting after point guards and telling everybody and their mother, we need a really good starting point guard because we're totally lacking in that area. Um, And then also held on to Derrick Rose and... uh, then also said, uh, we got to get in on this Donovan Mitchell stuff, and like they wouldn't have done that. They would have said, okay, we're going to carve out a roster that that means playing uh, Emmanuel quickly twenty eight minutes a game. So I just I think the front office and Tibbs, and it's difficult, like I said, to talk about the front office as one entity. Because right. It's, I mean, it's this, not.
0: The whole thing has a by committee feel to
1: it. 100%. And, and that's where this becomes a little complicated. But judging by the grand actions of the front office, they're pretty in line with a lot of these sorts of decisions. Um, and a lot of the things that people complain are the rotations and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think the front office, for the most part, on the macro, is is pretty in line with this. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I fall. You know, if the Knicks look, if the Knicks lose seven games in a row, we're having a different conversation, but they're basically where they're supposed to be. And I don't think in the front office's mind, there have been egregious faults that would be totally and completely, you know, unanticipated. So I think they, they string it out and, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, I don't think Tibbs is getting some sort of foreboding phone call tomorrow or anything like that.
0: Well, that seems about as good, good a spot as any to end it. Is that uh, the, uh, you heard it from Fred Katz? The Knicks are going to continue to scuffle along. Um, <laughs> it, the can will be kicked further down the road, which you know, is is in line with you know thirty years of team history. I would say. Um, Fred, thanks a lot for, for, for taking the time. I know you've been super busy, um, as, every, as all beat writers are this time of year. So I appreciate you uh, you joining again. I'm always thrilled to come on, so. All right. All right. Thank, thanks to Fred, and thanks to you folks for listening. We'll talk to you more next week.